America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Our producer, Mr. Darren Wilhite. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. This is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened to talk shows throughout the United States. We greatly appreciate all of you out there in our listening audience. We've got 88,000 people in the last 28 days that downloaded one of these broadcasts on the podcast platforms. We are on 12 podcast platforms, so we're on Pocket Cast, Spreaker, Spotify, Google Podcasts, RSS Feed, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, Pandora, and Amazon Music. We are also on YouTube and have our own YouTube channel. So we're getting a lot of people downloading these shows. This one we're doing today is one you're definitely going to want to download and you're going to want to tell folks about. Um, because we are very fortunate to have with us Douglas Holtz Erskine, who is the former head of the CBO and was also the chairman of the President's Council on Economics. We're going to talk to him today. And the topic today is going to be Medicare and Social Security. And the reason I'm doing this is, after the State of the Union address, when President Biden you know, said that the Republicans wanted to cut Medicare and the Republicans stood up and said, no, we don't, and back and forth and back and forth. This is very confusing to people. So what's really going on with Medicare and what is really going on with these issues? And that's what we're going to talk today with Douglas about. And we're very fortunate to have him available to us to be able to do this. So that, that's the topic that we're going to talk about today. By the way, we want to welcome our affiliate in Lincoln, Nebraska, KLIN AM 1400, brand new affiliate, FM 99.3. We're happy to have those folks on board in the Cornhusker State and uh, have them joining America's Healthcare Advocacy. So let me give you a little bit of information about uh, Douglas Erskine and why I wanted to bring him on, because I, for lack of a better term, Douglas, I'm going to call you a policy wonk, okay? Because if there's anybody, if there's anybody, anybody that understands policy, you're the guy, okay? So uh, Douglas, uh, during 2001-2002, he was the chief economist for the President's Council on Economic Advisors from 2001 to 2003 and 2005. He was the director of the Nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office. So let me just kind of give you a little information on the Congressional Budget Office if you're not familiar with it. They are the nonpartisan group of people that score the bills that come out of the House and out of the Senate. They're the ones that say, oh, well, the bill is going to raise X number of dollars in new taxes, and CBO will come back and go, no, it's not going to raise X number of dollars in new taxes. It's going to raise Y number of dollars in new taxes. Or the cost of this new program is going to be this, and CBO will come back and say, no, that's not accurate. It's going to be something completely different. Okay. Uh, during his tenure at CBO, he assisted Congress as they addressed numerous policies, notably the 2003 Tax Cuts and the Job and Growth Tax Relief Reconciliation and the 2003 Medicare Prescription Drug Bill and Medicare Modernization Act of 2005 and the push for Social Security reform. During 2007 and 2008, he was the Director of Domestic and Economic Policy uh, for for, uh, Senator John McCain. So obviously, Douglas, you know your way around the block on these topics. And what drew me to this was an article that you wrote um, in American Spectator. We'll get to that in just a second. But before we do that, I want to read a short piece 
um, out of the Wall Street Journal on this whole issue of insolvency for Social Security and insolvency for Medicare. So this is out of the Wall Street Journal, and it's written by William McGurn. And he says, the Congressional Budget Office quietly pointed uh, to a reality in the new report projecting that Social Security uh, will become insolvent by 2032, earlier than expected. The CBO report also projects that Medicare Hospital Insurance Trust Fund will be exhausted by 2033. Now, I want to point something out. The trustees, Douglas, have said the same things. Am I right or wrong about this? You're right about that. Yes. Uh, okay. So let, let's just start with that piece about insolvency and this whole issue around, you know, you have the president now come out and say that he's got a plan that's going to carry all, for the next 25 years uh, Medicare and Social Security without having to increase taxes. We'll talk about that a little later. But let's let's just define the issue of insolvency and what's really going on here. Douglas? Sure. Uh, let's start with Social Security. Uh, Social Security is a fairly simple program. Uh, people pay payroll taxes. Uh, they flow into the Treasury and are deposited in the Social Security Trust Fund. Uh, benefits are then paid to retirees, and the money comes out of the Social Security Trust Fund. For a long time, the, the payroll taxes going in exceeded the benefits going out, and so there was extra accumulation in the Trust Fund. Um, now, the reverse is true, and the Trust Fund is going down. And in 10 years, uh, the CBO estimates it will hit zero. At that point, the law says that uh, uh, you can only pay benefits uh, out of the trust fund, so there won't be enough money in the trust fund each year to pay full benefits. Estimates are there'll be about 80 to 85 percent of the necessary money. And so uh, in the absence of a change, people in retirement get a 20 percent across the board cut in their retirement uh, standard of living. Uh, that's unthinkable, and, but that is what happens if you stay on autopilot over the next 10 years. That's okay. Social Security. So, so that's automatic. That's not that's that's that's, that's not something that, that is debatable. That is a fact. Okay, that's that the, that's the way the law is written. That's the way the program is set up. And the reason that we're experiencing this inverse relationship, I'm assuming, is because the population of working people is declining overall as the population those of us that are chronologically challenged continues <laughs> to increase. It continues yeah. to increase across the country. Am I right or wrong? You're right. When Social Security was set up, there were five workers for every retiree. Uh, there are now going to be two workers for every retiree as the baby boom generation retires. And we have a permanent shift to an older population. It's not a, not something that's a bump and goes away. This is just the new the new world. So the, the program is not built to accommodate the demography we're facing. That's all there is to it. Um, for the uh, listeners, the, the Medicare situations um, uh, not even close to that promising. Uh, Medicare has four parts. The original part, Part A, was for inpatient care in hospitals, sort of major medical bills. It's an insurance product for that. And it was built like Social Security, payroll tax coming in, trust fund, uh, payments going out to, to hospitals and doctors for inpatient care. That's the, the trust fund that is going to run out of money in the next five years. Uh, if it runs out of money, that's slightly different than Social Security. The, the law says that seniors are entitled to the care. So they they have to be cared for, but you're not allowed to reimburse doctors and hospitals unless there's money in the trust fund. So if we do nothing, we get this marvelous situation where the law compels people to provide free care to seniors. I th think that would be a, uh, an enormous uproar uh, in the American medical community. That, that, would be a <laughs> that would be a train wreck like you have not seen. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's part A, and part A is the good news. It, with the advent of a lot of outpatient care, Medicare has a Part B to cover outpatient care. Uh, 
people pay premiums for that for that Part B coverage, but their premiums cover only 25% of the cost of the program. 75% of it is, is subsidized by general revenue coming out of the treasury. There's a Part D, which is the drug program I worked on at CBO. This covers the cost of outpatient prescription drugs. You pay premiums for that as well. Again, the premiums cover 25% of the cost of the program. 75% is being subsidized by uh, the general revenue. And then there's a Part C, which is an omnibus one size uh, covers all uh, insurance policy, much like an a HMO or a PPO in, in the commercial market. And, and again, you pay a premium that covers 25% of the cost, but 75% is subsidized by, by general revenue. The point of this is that Medicare was never designed to be financially self-sufficient. It has been living off the treasury transfers from the inception. And as a result, it is by itself responsible for about a third of all federal debt outstanding. It is bleeding red ink. Uh, so the trigger point for this discussion is just one part of Medicare. Even if you fixed part A, you wouldn't have touched the other three parts and they are generating an enormous amount of red ink. Yeah, so so you, you, you've, you've got two other parts, <laughs> yeah. part B, uh, well, actually three, part B, part D, and part C, which are the Medicare Advantage plans. For all of you out there in the audience, that is what a part C is. So those Medicare Advantage plans that you have that are zero premium, meaning you're paying nothing for the plan, okay, yep. but it offers benefits, and then it offers more benefits. We're going to talk about that as we go through the show today. Uh, that is coming out of the federal government. They are paying for that, and they're paying the insurance carriers to administer those programs and administer the claims and provide those benefits. Is that is that a fair analogy of that, Doug? Yes, that is exactly right. All right. So so when we look at this whole thing, the 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 part that that that, it, that is, uh, and we're coming up on the break here. So when we come back in the break, we'll talk more about this. But the, the the sad part about this is this is a third rail of politics that nobody wants to touch. Okay. And we'll talk a little bit about Senator Rick Scott and what he had proposed and how he's become a lightning rod for this. And we come back from the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network. Coast to coast across the USA. Stay tuned. We've got more with Douglas Holtz Erdskin, former head of the CBO and President's Council on Economic Affairs. So stay tuned. We've got more. We'll be right back after the break. The Golden Rule Treat others as you want to be treated. I'm Steve Keeker, and this is one of the founding principles of my firm, Senior Care Consulting. Since 2002, our value statement has included honor our mother and father, respect our elders care for those in need, and treat your family as our own. We've been honored to help hundreds of families make one of the most difficult decisions they could ever make, serving them in their greatest time of need. If you're looking for someone who can provide you experienced and objective guidance when searching for a senior care community, reach out today and discover the services of Senior Care Consulting at 913 913- 945-2800-913-945-2800. Know your options and choose with care at SeniorCareConsulting.com. 
Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HI Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com, americashealthcareadvocate.com. All the shows are listed up there, the podcast platforms and YouTube. Our producer, Mr. Darren Wilhite. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. Joining me from Washington, D.C., Douglas Holtz Ertzkin uh, from the American Action Forum. We're very happy to have him on board. He is the former director of the CBO and the chief economist for the President's President's Council of Economic Advisors. He certainly knows his way around this topic. And we are talking about Social Security and Medicare, and we're talking about all the problems that are attached to them as we have an aging population. Uh, And you heard Doug say this in the beginning. Initially, we had five people contributing to the Social Security uh, fund for every one person receiving benefits. Today, it's two to one. Um, and that, and, and when, you know, when do we cross the line when it's one-to-one, Doug? I mean, how far away are we from that? Well, fortunately, we're pretty far away from that. But the, the trouble is the system can't survive a two-to-one. And uh, that, that needs, that's the fundamental need for reform. So, so here's an interesting question. All, you know, we have this huge influx of, um, uh, uh, of migrants uh, uh, you know, the, or illegal aliens, whatever you want to call it. They all go, they all work, okay? Most of them work in some form where they're attacked. Is that going to have any impact on this at all? Or even with the two to three million that have come into the country recently over the last two or three years, is that going to start to, is there a way for that to impact the tide of this? Or is that just pie in the sky if somebody brings that up? It's already happened. Um, Typically, if someone is here illegally, they are working and under an assumed identity with a a falsified Social Security number. So they're paying taxes. Okay. And so they they are contributing to the financing of the retirement generation. They're just not eligible for benefits. And so So they're um, they're paying in, but they're not going to get anything out. Exactly. So um, that, that that's the the impact of those here uh, illegally. If you come legally, well, of course you pay taxes, and then ultimately you will, uh, uh, if you become a citizen, you'll be eligible for benefits. Okay. So so let's go back to what we close out that last segment. So I said this is the third rail of politics. This is the piece that nobody wants to touch. All the things that we went through, the insolvency of Medicare, the insolvency of Social Security, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're charging premiums that, that cover 25% of the cost of Part B, 25% of the cost of Part D, and whatever the premiums cover. And since our premiums, since probably 80% of the people on Medicare Advantage plans have zero premium plans now, so there's nothing being contributed on the premium side there. Nobody wants to talk about this, but there's no way on God's green earth the people in the House and the Senate, both Democrats and Republicans, don't know this. The irony of this situation is that doing nothing is bad for both sides. If you're a conservative who's worried about the accumulation of national debt and the fact that we are a fiscally unsustainable trajectory, and we're going to have interest costs that are bigger than the Pentagon inside of 10 years, all of that is a call for action. If you're on on the, the liberal side, the progressive side that wants these programs and wants them to stay around in their current form, they can't. Um, doing nothing means that eventually you get a, a cross the board cut in Social Security. Doing nothing means that the Part A trust fund exhausts. So both sides have a reason to to move and to reform these programs and make them sustainable. And both sides are at a standoff. It's it's remarkable. But, 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 and so when somebody has the guts to step out there with the solution, I'm not saying it was right, wrong, indifferent, or anything else, and that was Senator Rick Scott, 
Republican out of Florida, who came up and said, let's set this up so it sunsets every five years, um, and we can evaluate the programs and make changes as needed. And he was crucified for this. His own party crucified him for it, okay? So you you, you had President Trump initially saying, we're not touching Medicare, we're not touching Social Security. Well, the problem is, while you're not touching it, it's going broke, all right? And when you cross the Rubicon, we're not coming back. That's the other part of the problem. So then we have President Biden come out and say that he has a program that he will extend the life of Medicare trust fund by 25 years without benefit cuts while lowering the cost for Medicare beneficiaries. The program's hospital insurance trust fund is set to run out of money, this says, in 2028. And he's talking about taxing people in the $400,000 bracket to $250,000 a year. Well, that may sound like a lot of money, but it's not, you know, $250,000 for a family of four is this even doable with what he's talking? I mean, it seems to me that that that, that, that that's a false narrative. That's just not going to fly. So, so let's be very clear. Part A has a payroll tax going in and benefits going out, and it's it, it's running out of money. So you have to reform Part A. Is he changing the cost of hospital care to make less money go out? No. I, no, no attempt to do that. Is he changing the payroll tax going in? No. No attempt to do that. So he's not reforming Part A in any way. He's imposing a surtax on people making over 400000 on their net investment income and is going to just dump that money into the Part A trust fund and, and pay benefits. And so it's not a Medicare reform of any type. It's just another big transfer from the Treasury. Here's the problem. That money might otherwise have gone into the Treasury to fund something else like Part B, Part C, or Part D. This doesn't touch any of the problems in Medicare. It okay. just pretends it can go get more money. Okay, so I, I, all right, so I want to stop you right there. So what you're saying is what he is proposing only applies to Part A. It doesn't Correct. apply to Part B. It doesn't oh. apply to Part C. It doesn't apply to Part D. Yeah. I, I mean, somehow that magically got left out of the conversation. Indeed. Um, this isn't a solution to any of Medicare's problems. It's just a big tax increase. And a transfer. That's it. You, you know, it's it. That's remarkable. I mean, you know, you you, you would you would think that, that that somebody would have brought this up and said, "You're only even if this works, you're only dealing with part A. You're not dealing with these other three pieces, of which only twenty five percent are being paid by the participants on two of them. The third one, as I said, because of the zero premiums are so popular and every plan from United to Blue Cross to Cigna to Aetna has got the zero premium, they're not paying anything. Okay? So right. th- this is th- this is clearly a train wreck waiting to happen. Oh yeah. That that's exactly right. And so it's for someone like me, it's extraordinarily frustrating to watch this debate and have misrepresentations of what's going on, misrepresentations of what mean, what it means to, quote, fix it. Um, and for the American people who rely on Medicare and who rely on Social Security, it's a great disservice, in my view. Think about somebody who's 55 and in 10 years will retire. Do they know what they're going to get from Social Security? No. No, they There's don't. No they don't. They have no, clue. no, and I've got, you know, I've got children in their late 30s, early 40s, um, and I've told them, don't anticipate that you're going to get Social Security, yeah. especially not in the numbers that we're receiving it. So it, it's, again, this the area is full of irony. Social Security was invented to reduce the uncertainty about income and retirement and make have people have a better life. 
it is now the source of uncertainty about income and retirement, and it's making their lives worse. Yeah, it's, and, it's and, and here's terrible. the other part. Now we're, we're rolling up on the break really quick. When and when Social Security was put in place, the life expectancy of a male in this country was 15 to 20 years less than it is now. Okay, and and as we continue to have greater and greater life expectancy, that has another impact on these funds where that money won't be there. Both Social Security and Medicare. So this is a significant issue. When we come back from the break, we're now going to get into what's really happening right now with Medicare, because there are cuts coming in 2024 that you have no idea are coming. We're going to talk about that with Douglas Holtz Erskine, when we come back, former head of the CBO and President's Council on Economic Affairs. Stay tuned. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. We've got more. Stay right there. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the Fruited Plain here on the HI Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. We're on 12 podcast platforms. This is an important show. You want to tell somebody about this? You want to tell your neighbor, your friend, somebody in your family, your church group, whatever, go up to one of the podcast platforms. The show will be up there in total. We're videoing the show as well, so you can watch it on YouTube if you want to do that. Um, It's an important Important topic. Uh, you know, I'm chronologically challenged. There are a whole bunch of us out there. Uh, and uh, this is an issue that everybody's going to have to deal with. And by the way, if you are one of those younger people, uh, this is important for you to hear because this is what's going to determine whether you have benefits when you get to that 65-year-old uh, mark for retirement. So, <clears throat> So joining us today, Douglas Holtz Erskine. Uh, he is from the American Action Forum. He is the former director of the CBO and the chief economist for the President's Council on Economic Advisors. We are very fortunate to have him joining us from Washington, D.C. These are the uh, Zoom conference. It's amazing what technology can do, Doug. So yes, you, you wrote this piece, and it just grabbed me when I saw it. Um, and that was uh, the economics, you spelled the E-A-K-I-N-anomics, uh, of Medicare Advantage and cutting Medicare. And you, you, so you went into uh, a short piece here. Yesterday, the Better Medicare Alliance, BMA, released a study by Al- Alibear Health with scintillating pros. On February 1st, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, released a 2024 advance notice, an annual regulatory document that describes the agency's proposed payment coverages for the next plan year. It added, Alavera estimates, a decrease in the payments could result in $540. Let's just start there. So, First of all, you've got Republicans, you know, saying we're not cutting Medicare. You've got Democrats saying they are cutting Medicare. In the meantime, what's really happening is Medicare is being cut by CMS and the bureaucrats in CMS, correct? Uh, that's correct. And so for context, uh, traditional Medicare parts A, B, and D uh, will soon be overtaken by Medicare Advantage, the part C we discussed. Uh, as, as early as next year, the majority of seniors will get their Medicare through Medicare Advantage. So it's a really important part of Medicare and an increasingly important part of Medicare. And every year, CMS announced it announces its reimbursement plans. And when it put out this announcement, it did a couple of things, uh, one of which was based on past audits. It decided to, to, to carve back some money. The second thing it did is it changed the way it paid plans for dealing with riskier patients, those who have more health conditions, uh, because it, it simply got rid of some some risk classifications and essentially said, 
okay, you're pre-diabetes. Last year, we gave you money to keep that person from becoming a diabetic. This year, we're not going to do that. We're not going to give you the same amount of money to care for that person. And the total cut would come out to be about this $540 per beneficiary. So that's a, a lot of money. What will happen? Uh, left unchanged, what is most likely to happen is that first, if your plan offers you any extra benefits above and beyond the, the, the basic package, so if you're getting vision or dental and things like that, that'll probably go away first. And the zero premium plans will be next in line. And you'll have to start paying a premium because they're not going to get uh, as big a, a check from uh, from CMS. So that that's what's at stake. It's really extra benefits and premiums. So you see this coming in so in two pieces. Then so there are a lot of extra benefits because, as you know, you know CMS has layered money into these plans over the last three yes. or four years. So you know we we've got plans giving out cash cards now. Sure. Uh, debit cards so that you can go to the pharmacy and do over-the-counter medications. Um, you know, we've got meal service being delivered to people's homes in certain cases. We've got transportation available. We've got dental benefits. In some of the plans, you've got dental benefits of $2,000 a year. Um, yeah. yeah. And and um, obviously, you've got vision benefits as well. And some of the plans, those are as high as $1,000 a year. So you think, based on what this study says, those are the first places they're going to go cut right out of the gate. That's the first thing that's going to have to be cut. Yeah, I think uh, an insurer can manage this any way they want. They, but uh, knowing how sensitive seniors are to premium increases, they're not going to look there first. They're going to look there last, and they'll do everything they can on the benefits front first. And when they run out of uh, room to cut, they'll move to the premiums. So that that five hundred and forty dollars now is is that the total estimate or, or I saw in here further down in this piece that we were talking about a three point one two percent reduction in planned payments does that encompass the five forty or is that three point one two on top of that? that that's the five forty that's that's what that is okay so that so that's interesting so 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 let's just talk about that for a minute so you know you've got all this back and forth about who's cutting Medicare and here we go. <laughs> This is cutting Medicare. There's no, there's no way around it, no. and and it's it's uh, these are plans that are have enormous popularity. If, if you do surveys, oh, of they've exploded. They've exploded. Off, off their yeah, yeah, they've completely so, exploded. So, and you want to ask, you know, from a health policy point of view, why is it that they can offer extra benefits? Well, answer is they can deliver the basic benefit package promised in traditional Medicare more cheaply. And as a result, they have extra room to offer more benefits. And so that means they're providing a better value package. They're covering the care at a lower cost. And that's what we want our health system to do. And this is cutting and penalizing exactly the part of Medicare that's doing the best. So that's a troubling decision in my view. Yeah, this is interesting. So let's talk about this for a minute. So Medicare fraud and waste um, is, a, is a big number. It's, it, 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 I'm trying to recall. Uh, $80 billion a year ballpark right now. How much is it? $80 billion? $80 billion a year. And when you contrast that with Medicare fraud and waste on the Medicare Advantage plans administered by the health insurance carriers, it's 1% or less. Right. That's the contrast. So when you say it's the most efficient method, it is the most efficient method for delivering these services because the insurance carriers are doing the job that Medicare itself can't do, hasn't done, won't do, okay, when it comes to fraud and waste, which is this $80 billion that, you, that, you're, that, you're, that you're talking about. So it, it seems to me that this is 
somewhat ridiculous that we're going to go in and we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, especially at a time when we know we're heading toward insolvency on these plans. Now we're going to turn this thing around um, and we're going to the very people that are providing care in the most efficient manner are going to be penalized for what they're doing. But at some level, this is simply a philosophical move Uh the, the private carriers are capitalist entities. They're private firms, and they're, they're the ones delivering Medicare Advantage. And this is not uh, an administration and, and a philosophy that's, that's friendly toward the private sector. They want the government doing things. Well, that's traditional Medicare. And so they're trying to tilt the playing field against um, uh, private sector entities. That's See, and, and that doesn't make any sense because the, the American no. public has spoken. As you yes. said, the migration to Medicare Advantage plans is enormous, okay? Yes. And the problem with original Medicare, and we've made this point on this broadcast many times, people, is that original Medicare on Part B leaves you owing 20% of whatever that service is. You, so you had a hip replacement, and it's $153,000. You just got to pay 20% of that. That's what Medicare Advantage gets rid of. That's what Medicare supplements get rid of. And what's going to wind up happening, what you're hearing Douglas say is, if they're, they're trying to push this back to Medicare, and the question is why? It doesn't make any sense. When you've got a program, this piece of the program is working. So now we're going to turn it upside down on its head um, and, 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 and try to regulate it to a point where it, it doesn't work anymore. That's my concern. Um, you know, we've... We know that healthcare costs are a big part of the federal budget. We know that healthcare costs in the private sector are a big part of people's lives. When you find something that works, let's lean on it more and try to improve it uh, instead of doing this. This is a real step in the wrong direction, in my view. And you know what's going to happen? The general public is going to look at the insurance carriers and blame the carriers because yes. they don't understand the argument. They don't understand what's going on here. And that's why I wanted to do this, Sean. I wanted you on here today. This is in place by CMS. This isn't this isn't the, the, the Democrats in the House or the Senate or the Republicans in the House or the Senate. This is CMS. This is a bureaucracy with the blessing of the Biden administration, okay, that's moving to cut Medicare. And I want to make that point to all of you listening. Cuts are coming to Medicare. They're coming out of CMS under this administration. And you heard Douglas just say, again, you know, we've got progressive philosophy here. I don't do political on this show, except when it impacts these kinds of issues. But these people want to push people back to original Medicare. You may recall when when all of this changed and Medicare Advantage came into place, there was a huge pushback from a lot on the Democrat side saying this was the wrong thing to do. It wasn't going to work. Well, it turns out it's worked really well. When you compare the fraud and waste on the administered side by the insurance carriers with the fraud and waste on the original Medicare side, it's night and day. Okay. Um, and here's the other thing that doesn't make any sense, Doug. And this is part that, and we're coming on the break here, so we'll, we'll visit this when we come back. Is if you're going to get rid of programs like managing type 2 diabetes and not having it move into type 1, how much sense does that make? <laughs> you're cutting exactly the population you need to pay the most attention to. Yeah. So it's quite perverse. And the ones that cost the most money when they move from uh, type 2 yeah. to type 1. All right, we're on the break. We're coming from the break. We're going to be right back after the break. We've got more. Stay tuned. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Stay there. We'll be right back with more. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. You can find out more about us by going to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. This is an important show. We're very fortunate 
to get Douglas Holtz Erskine on here today to talk about these issues and sort this out. Because what I'm doing here is giving you fact. This is not fiction. This is not political. This is fact. This is what's going on. It's what's going to happen in 2024. And if you're a seasoned citizen out there, one of us that's chronologically challenged, and you're on a Medicare Advantage plan, this is going to impact you directly. And you heard Douglas say it. The first thing that's going to go are going to be the ancillary benefits. So all of those good things that are in there now in a lot of these plans, like Meals on Wheels, transportation uh, to, med- to appointments, those, those debit cards that allow you to buy things over the counter, those are going to go out the door first, okay? And the second thing that's going to happen, and Douglas said it, is zero premium. They will not be able to hold the line on zero premium. The carriers won't because the money's being cut by CMS. And what the first thing that's going to happen in general public is they're going to throw rocks at the health insurance carriers because they're doing this so they can make more money. That's not the issue. The issue is that the reimbursements are being cut. When the reimbursements get cut, this is what happens, and this is what's happening now. So, again, joining us, Douglas Holtz Erskine. Uh, he is the former director of CBO and chief economist for the President's Council on Economic Affairs. So, let's. So, it, it just seems remarkable to me that you've, you know, in the private sector over here on the employer-sponsored side, you've got every kind of wellness program you can think of being put in place, all kinds of incentives to keep people healthy, get them to deal with things like type 2 diabetes so it doesn't roll over into type 1. And yet, here we have the biggest government agency managing healthcare in the country, and they're doing just the opposite. You're going to pull away the management of type 1, excuse me, type 2 diabetes, and what's going to happen is you're going to have people moving into type 1 diabetes because they're not managing the disease. They're not getting the A1C. They're not taking their metformin. They're not doing the things they're supposed to do. It just makes absolutely no sense, Doug. Uh, I agree. I mean, that the push for two decades now has been to move the system away from fixing things after the fact and get ahead of uh, uh, problems and have people live healthier lifestyles and not end up in an acute care setting, which is debilitating and expensive. So uh, this was part of that effort, and these cuts would undo it to some extent. Yeah, and it, it makes no sense at all because the whole idea is to hold down cost. You hold down cost, then you have better benefits for everybody in the program. All right, so we've got about five minutes left here. What do you see as solutions? Let's just start with Medicare to this Medicare issue. I mean, some people have talked about raising the, the, the age when you're allowed in. There have been a number of different things been kicked around uh, over a period of time to make changes. What do you see as practical solutions? So let's start with Medicare, and if we have time, we'll do Social Security. Doug? Medicare is uh, really hard, um, and uh, so I'll tell you my starting point. My starting point is to put Medicare on a budget. Right now, Part B, C, and D all have an open-ended draw on the U.S. Treasury, and that allows... Um, uh, the participants in there to simply not manage things effectively. They just take more money from the Treasury and solve their problems that way. We know Medicare Advantage plans can manage costs. They can manage their patient populations. They can make, cut, uh, make contracts with their providers and manage costs effectively. Let's ask the rest of Medicare to try to compete on a level playing field with budgets um, with Medicare Advantage. And if it can do it, great. We will have solved a big part of the, the budget problem. We'll, we'll have extended the longevity of Medicare, and that'd be a good thing. But in the end, we want on a level playing field where you have to actually hit a budget to deliver the highest quality care 
that Americans deserve. And I don't care how that happens. That's the horse race I'd like to set up. All right. So why, you know, why aren't we hearing that from many? Let's just clearly you're not going to hear this from what I would call liberal progressives. But there are liberal Democrats, as there are conservative Republicans, who could see the light of day with this and could bring this forward. Yet nobody is articulating this in the simple, understandable terms that you just gave. Okay, that that's a great starting point. Okay, you know what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. Okay, yep. so why aren't we hearing anybody? I mean, nobody is on the Republican side. Like I said, Rick Scott was crucified uh, because he 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 dared step out there and talk about doing something to make changes. Clearly, there needs to be a solution. All he asked them to do is look at the program every five years. He didn't even say what he'd do to it. I mean, um, that's the minimum we could do right right now. Everything is running on autopilot except MA, which every year CMS gets to mess with. Everything else is running on autopilot. And 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 that's not okay because it's not serving the beneficiaries well. They're not getting the highest quality care. They're not doing the screening for early onset diabetes. And it's costing an enormous amount of money, which no one likes either out of their pocket or, or out of the federal treasury. So we need to deal with that, that set of problems. And then we can move on to Social Security, which is – in the end, something that six bipartisan commissions have looked at and have all come up with the same basic menu. And, and the menu is, well, we're going to raise taxes. We'll go back to taxing a bigger fraction of wages. Still have a cap, but, but a higher cap, so we tax 90% of the wages. And on the benefit side, believe it or not, the minimum benefit's too low, so raise it. And then adjust for inflation more intelligently. We, we over-adjust right now. And the affluent will get less as a rate of return, then then the less affluent, just more aggressively means tested. It can be done. That's pure politics. The, the analytics of Social Security are nothing. You can fix it at your desk. Uh, Medicare is much harder. <laughs> you you could fix it at your desk, Douglas. I don't think many other people are going to fix it at theirs. But Medicare is – so Social Security is the much easier harder. fix. The most Absolutely. difficult fix is Medicare, and that's, that's the one that nobody wants to touch and nobody wants to talk about. And this is very interesting. And, and, and suffice to say, people, you, you've heard it now, uh, and, and th- t- we did exactly what I said we were going to do. We, we separated fact from fiction here. Now you know what's going to happen. It's going on right now. Uh, you're going to see Medicare Advantage get cuts next year. We'll see if the zero premium survives. The carriers are going to move off of the ancillary benefits. Those are going to come to a screaming halt or at least be reduced dramatically, depending on what you know they decide to do. But there are the cuts are in place, and they're coming, and there's no way around it. And that's why I wanted to do this show, and I wanted to explain this to you. Thank you very much, Doug, for doing this. I have a feeling you're going to be back. Well, I appreciate you having me on. It's been great fun. Thank well, you. we'd love we'd love to have you back because I'm sure this is going to be an ongoing conversation as we move through the year. So thank you very much. And now I close, ladies and gentlemen, with this thought from Albert Einstein. The one who follows the crowd to usually get no further than the crowd. The one who walks alone is likely to find himself in places no one has ever been. Remember, friends, it's a funny thing about life. If you refuse to accept anything but the very best, you most often get it. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Goodbye, America. America.